Okay, I think I'm ready to go. Are you ready to go? Okay, great. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. I hope you have your Bible with you this morning, and if you don't, that's okay. There's a pew Bible in front of you, and I forgot to write down the page number. So if somebody wants to holler out that page number, go ahead and do it. 902. 902. Open your pew Bible to 902, and you can follow along there, uh, or your own Bible, whichever one you prefer. I always try to emphasize that you open your Bible simply because I want you to see where these are coming from, from where my thoughts are coming from, where this text comes from this morning, uh, because outside the Word of God, I've got nothing to say. Um, and that's where uh, we want to focus on this morning. So John chapter 16, we'll be going through verses 1 through 15. So, of course, with that uh, number of verses, we can only skim through them this morning, and, and we will uh, do only that. Uh, but nonetheless, we're going to read verses 1 through verse 15. And God's inspired and errant word reads, These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcast from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All these things the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Father, we ask a blessing upon the reading of your word. And as we put ourselves into this ancient text in this ancient time, uh, Father, help us to understand uh, what it meant to those you first spoke it to. And then also, Lord, what does it mean for us uh, here all these years later? Father, we uh, pray that by the illumination of your Holy Spirit, Father, we could understand what you would have for us here this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've simply titled this a warning and a promise. A warning and a promise. And as we come to this final chapter of what we call the Upper Room Discourse, we again find Jesus giving instructions and warnings to his disciples. 
Jesus is preparing them for the next chapter of their life. And although they were told what to expect, they had no idea what was to come. In fact, Jesus told them He was going to the Father and they too will come. They know the way. And their response, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? Have you ever had a big chapter in your life? I'm sure you have. And as you look towards that new chapter, and as you attempted to inform and educate yourself the best you could of of what to expect, and even as others may have given you instructions on what to expect, still many unknowns were left for you to worry about and worry over were there not. Maybe the next chapter is, or was, going off to college, marriage, a new job, a baby, a grandbaby. Maybe it's moving to another town or another state. Maybe it's retirement. Maybe it's a matter of health. The final words of Jesus in this upper room discourse to His disciples are, These things I have spoken to you, so that in Me you may have peace. In the world you have known tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Beautiful words. Words in which I'm certain you too have found comfort. But until we are fully immersed into the next chapter of life, how do we really know? Right? I mean, how do we really know? This is where the disciples of Jesus find themselves, listening and saying very little. In fact, from this text, one could even presume that the disciples of Jesus are depressed, or at the very least, a little discouraged. And so with that as our setting, we want to look into this text this morning, and we're going to start with the warning of Jesus. And then we're going to uh, move on into the promise of Jesus. There's a warning and there's a promise. And just like with anything, before you can really receive the good news, there has to be bad news or good news wouldn't even be good news, would there? And that's kind of what we have here this morning. A warning and a promise. Starts out here in verse 1, of course, with these things. Jesus says these things and Jesus is saying, I have spoken to you all these things in the past. The sermon or the uh, the upper room discourse started all the way back to the 13th chapter, and it will conclude with the end of the 16th chapter, and then it'll move into the Lord's Prayer, the high priestly prayer of chapter 17, and then off to, to the court and off to the execution, and then the resurrection and ascension to the Father. But these are now becoming some of the last words of Jesus, and He refers back to all that He has spoken to them so far. Because remember, although we've been a few months in the Upper Room Discourse, they were there for just an evening. But specifically, I think Jesus is looking what just came before this, what He just said before this. And this was in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25, where Jesus says, the world hates you. And the reason the world hates you is because the world has hated me. And so as you go out into the world, they couldn't understand because Jesus was still with them. And this is one of the things that I was saying in in my opening introduction, is that until we're fully immersed into a situation, although we prepare for it, we plan for it, until we're actually there, 
We don't really understand or we don't really know what to expect. And so Jesus is saying, I told you these things. The world hates you because the world hates me. Uh, and therefore, when I go, the world is going to turn that wrath upon, upon you. And so in these verses, Jesus warns his disciples that the world indeed hates them and hates him. But up until now, the world has directed all their hatred towards Jesus because he was physically there with them. And yet as Jesus is going to no longer be with them, the world will then turn on to Jesus' followers, on to Jesus and his disciples. And this is why Jesus has said to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you so that you do not stumble. Now, they probably thought, as Peter so boldly claimed, and, and, and the others also, I'm sure Peter was just the outspoken one. you got to like an outspoken guy, right? Or maybe not, <laughs> right? But he spoke up and he said, I will never, I'll never turn my back on you. And yet, yet he did. And Jesus knew that was coming. And so these words here, he's saying, listen, I've told you these things so that you do not, not stumble. Well, what did he mean here by stumble? So, of course, we need to dig into that just a little bit to help us through that, help us through this idea, uh, because we know, we know that they, they, they did indeed stumble. <clears throat> so, first of all, the word here, here stumble, um, is, is just uh, uh, simply to, to cause to be brought to a downfall, right? Cause to sin, right? It's, it's no rocket science. We, we totally understand what that means. You're, you're walking along, and, and as I've been accused of sometimes tripping over my own feet, right? And so we stumble. And as there's no difference. It's the same sense here this morning of what Jesus is, is saying to his disciples, um, but, but this is the part that I want to flesh out just a little bit because, because stumble can be in the active voice and it can be also in the passive voice. And so often we think of stumbling in the active voice. Here it's in the passive voice. And so what, what do we mean by that? Well, it's just simply in the active voice is to be led or to lead someone to stumble. Right to lead them astray. In a sense here, it could also be used in the original language as setting a trap for someone. So purposefully... Someone uh, was led to stumble. That's the active sense. We have it in a way where Jesus says we need to be active in our own faith in the things that, that cause us to stumble. And you might be familiar, I'm sure you are, with the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says this, if your right eye makes you stumble, right, just go ahead and rip it out, right? Just rip it out. And he says, if your right arm or your right hand causes you to stumble, just, just you know what, just go ahead and get that saw, make sure it's a good sharp blade, and cut it off. That's being active. That's being very, or we could say proactive in how he wants us to think through this thing. And one thing that we often think, and this is why I want to spend a little bit of time, uh, but not much on the active voice here, because this is what we're often thinking in our mind, especially when you think of uh, Jesus' instructions where he said this, in Matthew 18, whoever causes one of these little ones, any, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble. And there again, you know, here's obviously our word. It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So Jesus, well, it's pretty clear what Jesus is saying. But the part that may not be quite as clear as what Jesus is saying is that, yes, it was in the context of speaking 
to people who, who were saying, hey, let the, don't let the little children come. You're, you're getting in the way of the master. And Jesus it gives them and takes it as a teaching opportunity. But I think, and I don't think it's too much eisegesis on my part, to also take this text in this way and to say that these little ones can also be the little ones in the faith. Can they not? I think so. I think so. So those who are young in the faith, those who are new in the faith, they're also little ones. Must be careful not to trip them up not to trip them up, not to lead them astray, not to set traps for them or, or, or have these gotcha moments with them if you want to use that, that terminology. But in our text this morning, switching gears, that is not how we should see the instructions of Jesus. Okay, That's not how we should see it at all because here it is in the passive voice and so simply meaning it is to be led astray. It is to be uh, led to be caused to to stumble. It's in a way of, of almost accidentally. It's almost in a way of not being prepared, uh, whatever the reason for that is, to, 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 uh, to stumble, to fall away. And in Matthew chapter 13, uh, it says this. He says, the one on whom the seed has sown, right? Let me give you the backstory to that. I, I, I was getting my backstories, right? But it's, it's just important. So, you know, you got the parable of the sower and the, the sowing, right? Sowing the seed and the seed sprouts up. You're familiar with the story? No nods. You want me? Okay, yeah, yeah. You didn't want me to tell it, did you? <laughs> no. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Back on track. So here they were sowing the seeds and the seeds were growing, Okay. And uh, uh, Jesus says this as he gives the explanation for the parable. He says, the one that the seed was sown on rocky places, seed landed on the rocky places. And this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And this verse and this parable is, is, is very applicable for what Jesus is telling his disciples here this morning. Because here is a man, here is a seed, and we, we look at the, this is springtime, this is when we plant things. Uh, some of you who are, who have the ability of planting things for, for us to consume, thank you for that. Uh, but you understand that you gotta be careful how you plant these seeds. There are times where that seed will, will flourish, like this one hard spot in my yard. It's like the only hard spot in the yard. But anyways, it grows really nice and summer comes and it burns out. It's like, I don't know what the deal is. But it's hard soil. Right. And that's what that's what the parable, that's what he's saying. He's saying there's times where where man, the conditions are just great and we embrace the faith. We embrace Jesus. And then as we go along life, things come our way. The sun gets down and beats on their heads. Right. And it dies out. That's that's the sense that we must understand the warning here in our text here this morning. And just to continue to, to dig in just a little bit deeper here this morning, I'm going to do a bit of this, so bear with me. Um, hopefully it'll be edifying for your soul. But in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples said, Hey, Jesus, when is the end coming? Now, I don't want to get into eschatology this morning because I know there's lots of different thoughts on that, but we all know the end is coming and those who have faith in Christ are going to go with Him to heaven and those who don't aren't. So we can all agree on that part, I think. But nonetheless, Jesus is saying here this morning, okay, I'll tell you when it's coming. We'll deliver you to tribulation. 
Because there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and don't be frightened. Nation's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. They will deliver you into tribulation. It will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, here we go, listen up. At that time, many will fall away. Here's our, here's our word. Many will fall away in the passive sense. Many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many because of lawlessness has increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is what Jesus is warning the disciples here this morning. Listen. Listen up, pay attention, don't be tripped up, don't be fooled, right? These are the things that are going to happen. So when they happen, be prepared for them because you have been forewarned, foretold. Well, that, that, that is the setting for where Jesus is now finishing up his teachings uh, on this, this night in the upper room here. And he moves on and he um, continues to explain what he's talking about in verse 2. When he says that they will make you outcasts from the synagogues, but an hour is coming, but a time is coming, we could say, for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God, right? And so the time is coming where they're gonna, you're gonna be an outcast and they're actually going to kill you thinking they are serving God by destroying you. In fact, um, Paul, was in this boat in Acts chapter 26. Paul himself was in this very boat when he, before his Damascus Road experience, before his, uh, uh, before God saved this man, he said this as he was preaching here at the end of the Acts chapter 26. Actually, he was talking to Agrippa. Uh, but he said this, he said, so then I thought to myself, that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. So he received authority from the church to do this. But also when they were being put to death, I cast my lot against them. You see, Paul right here, can <laughs> they experienced that in their time on earth as Jesus had said those very, very words. Christians are killed in the, for the name and in the name of God, right? We ourselves as Anabaptists have experienced that, maybe not us personally, of course, but many of us were taught about the martyrs who came before us. But it did not start with them. It started right here in the Bible with the religious Jewish people. And then from there, it went to, to, the, to the Roman world, right? To the Roman pagans there that also killed in the name of, of their gods. And then it rolled over into the church, and the Roman Catholic church who persecuted us. And then from there, we could look at today. We could look at today. You could look at the Muslim faith. And we see that, and we've seen that on the news where this still continues. So this there's, there's no secrets here that Jesus is telling them. Jesus is telling them exactly what to expect. And all we got to do is go back and look at history and current history. And we see this very type of thing happening. But in verse four, Jesus continues and he says, but these things I have spoken to you. Why? 
so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you them. You may remember that these are the things that I told you. I did not say these things from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus is saying, look, I have deflected their wrath. Their anger was directed towards me, but when I'm gone, they're now going to come after my followers. It makes perfectly good sense, does it not? I want to go to to one other passage here yet before we move on uh, from the warning of Jesus, um, just to help solidify this in our minds, because this was the point of Jesus. Revelation chapter 12, again, uh, we've got the analogies. Much of Revelation can be a bit squirmy for some. Uh, we Listen, we have to understand it's a lot of it's allegory. And this is exactly what we have here in the 12th chapter, <clears throat> what we have about the woman being Israel, right? And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. I mean, obviously, this isn't, this isn't a literal thing. It's, a, it's an analogy that's being drawn here. So that when she gave birth... This dragon, the devil, might devour her children, her offspring. Who are the offspring? I mean, of course, right? It is Israel. And then uh, through inspiration, through the progression of revelation, and as God continued to work with the people, it's now us also, right? And he continues, and he said in the 13th verse, And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down into the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So the dragon was erased with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Of Jesus. See, see, history is both linear, which much of the text is, but it's also circular, is it not? It also comes around as they scope forward. And so we see as Jesus warned the disciples that this is what's going to happen. They're going to be killed. We see it as as 50 years later, it was still happening again, yet they were moving forward. We can look at through our history. And, and what am I, what am I, what's my point? What am I getting to? Well, my point is that this warning still applies today, right? This warning still applies today. In fact, Jesus told us, count the cost. Because for right now, for a time that seems to be quickly disappearing, um, we have it very nice, don't we? You know, we can come into church this morning and not worry about any type of sufferings, not worry about any type of persecutions. We have no guarantee in that. And I know that's not really something we like to talk about, but Jesus warned his disciples. And we must take that warning for us today too. The time is coming very quickly where we're going to have to take a stand, right? We're going to have to take a stand for the name of Jesus. And that could very much indeed cost us our very life. That's a sober warning Jesus is giving his disciples. It's a sober warning he's giving to the church in America. Other parts of the world are are already experiencing that. But for us as American Christians, we must, we must heed this warning here of Jesus. Well, that's the bad news. <laughs> that's the warning of Jesus. Let's move on already to the promise. Right? So, so that's, what, that's what you can expect to happen. Now, I don't want to leave you there. Jesus didn't leave his disciples there. That's why I didn't just want to focus on those verses and say, okay, see you all next week. <laughs> right? No. We want to continue as Jesus did and give his disciples a word of promise here. We see it in verses 5 through 15. And these verses in 5 through 15, I'm going to break it down in two parts. The, 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 the negative promise, 
And then the positive promise. Now, it's obviously not negative for the followers of Jesus, but there's a negative promise, and then there's a, there's a positive promise. And so first we'll start with this, this negative promise, and we see it. <clears throat> well, I'll look at verses 5 and, and 7 and just make one brief comment about that, because Jesus has said, now I'm going away, and because I said I'm going away, there's sorrow in your heart. That's why I said the disciples almost seemed somewhat depressed, because they didn't fully understand. And so Jesus says, hey, 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 Hey guys, uh, disciples, come back here. Listen, listen, when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, because I'm going to go away and I'm going to send a helper, and so when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, verse 8, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so, of course, here, obviously, uh, we have convict and then three parts, sin, righteousness, and judgment. So we have to, of course, look at the word convict. Um, what, what, what's he referring to here? Because often we think of, well, yeah, it's convert, convicting the sinner for the sinner to repent. And, and then righteousness, uh, we kind of think, well, yeah, because, because if, if that sinner then re- receives Christ, he's, he's righteousness and he, and he escapes judgment. But that's not how we must understand the text here this morning. And so to convict of sin is just to state that someone has done wrong, right? This is not rocket science. But this is one thing, though, we must remember, because sometimes we might say, oh, man, I'm, I was just convicted by what that person said, and now I feel guilty. See, there it is, right? It's not guilt. This is a conviction. This is a courtroom. This is judicial. This is forensic. This is what you would hear in a trial. There's a trial going on right now that's got quite the high profile, right? And I guarantee you they're looking for a conviction that means anything, but you feel guilty, right? This is what Jesus is saying here this morning. This is how we must understand this here this morning, that there's proof, there's adequate proof of wrongdoing, and therefore you indeed are convicted. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 or chapter 4, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verses 1 through 4. As Paul here. See, here are the words of Jesus. He's going to leave his disciples. And here we've got the words of Paul as he's going to be leaving and passing that baton, as I say so often, to his, to his protege, Timothy. And he leaves him with these words. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, that by his appearing, his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, convict, Another derivative of it, to rebuke, is to disapprove, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come. Listen, the time is already here when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, wanting to have their comforts left intact. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They'll turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn aside and they'll turn their ears to those who want you to have your best life now, right? This is what Paul is warning of, and it's happening today too. Listen, we must pay attention. This is the sense of this word here, convict, that Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. Yes, it will be convicting. Yes, it will be uncomfortable at times, but it is not your job to make that discernment. Preach the word. In the church at 1 Corinthians, as Paul was leaving that church, and that church was a a church that had all kinds of trouble going on. And again, as you see how the Spirit is working, and there was a time where the Spirit manifested itself in many different ways, and that time was transitioning out of that time into a new time, and the church was saying, no, 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 no. The church at Corinth in chapter 14, chapter, uh, they were saying, listen, people, speak in a language that people can understand. 
The idea is that we need to preach the Word to convict. If you're babbling, nobody can understand that. Read it for yourself in the 14th chapter of Corinthians. Paul says, don't do that. Because an unbeliever is going to walk into your church and hear some kind of babble going on, and they're going to say, these people are mad. These people have lost your mind. But Paul says, preach. What does he say? He says, preach words that are understandable. That way the unbeliever, when he hears those words, will be convicted. Will be convicted. This is what our text is telling us here this morning. In Luke, John the Baptist went to Herod. Herod had his brother's wife. He goes to his Herod and says, Herod, you can't have that. You just stole your brother's wife. What happened? The Tetrarch, Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded. That's a soft word. He was convicted, found guilty by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, he threw John the Baptist in prison for it, right? So he was convicted, but yet here was the king. The king had the power to do whatever the king was going to do and threw him in jail for it. John the Baptist did not shy, though, from speaking the truth. We have another example of this very same thing in Jude. In Jude verse 14 and 15, there's only one chapter in Jude. And in verses 14 and 15, it's going all the way back to the seventh generation of Adam. So many times the New Testament reaches back into the Old Testament and pulls it forward. All Scripture is inspired. In the 14th verse, it says this, It was also about these men at Enoch that in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, preached, saying, Behold, the Lord <clears throat> the Lord come with many thousands of holy ones. Why? To execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. And all the harsh things with ungodly sinners have spoken against him. See, again, we have this idea that it is our job. It is our job as, as preachers. It is our job as, as evangelists. It is our job as we interact with the public to do it, obviously, in a responsible and loving way the best that we can. But first and foremost, the Word of God will convict. We cannot shy back from that. Our approach, how we go about it, matters. But so does the Word of God. It, 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 it matters. And so that, <laughs> let's go. Okay, come back. Come back to our text here this morning now. I'm going to go to the ninth verse because Jesus expands upon what He just said. And we're going to do it very quickly, I promise. And in the eight, ninth verse, He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. So He convicts of sin, convicts the world of sin because they do not believe in Me. Now let me tell you something here. The greatest sin. What is the greatest sin? You know, we get asked that question sometimes, right? Well, what's the sin of blaspheming? What is the, what is the one unforgivable sin? There's only one sin that is unforgivable. All other sins are forgivable. Denying Jesus Christ as God. Right? That's the only sin that is unforgivable. Why is that sin unforgivable? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You deny Jesus, there is no other way. Therefore, that sin is unforgivable. All other sins hang upon that one. First and foremost, sin starts with unbelief. The root of all sin is unbelief. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Convicting sin, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Jesus, I am the way. Because of righteousness, they killed Jesus. 
They were thinking these religious people were doing the right thing and being righteous about it by killing Jesus. But Jesus continues and says, convict the world concerning judgment. Concerning judgment. Well, okay, convict the world because of sin. They conv- you're convicted because, because of the righteous. You killed the righteous one of God. Judgment has already come upon the earth. John chapter 8, we already went through this, where Jesus told them, listen, you're your, of your father's the devil. Wow. Easy. He had too much coffee. You are of your father's the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. That's the words of Jesus, right? The world is already, the evil one has already been convicted. He has already been judged. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples. Why is he telling his disciples this? We're going to get there eventually. Because this is all a setup. Remember, once again, Jesus is going to be leaving. They don't fully understand what is to come. And Jesus is giving them everything they can to live a faithful life, not to stumble. And this is what I'm attempting to do here for you this morning. In John chapter 3, verse 16, we're familiar with it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a beautiful, it's a wonderful verse. But we cannot stop there. Verse 17, For God did not send the world, the Son to the world to judge the world. Because he didn't send the Son in the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He does not believe, has been judged already. Why? Because he does not believe in the only name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, Jesus says, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. See, this is what Jesus said. Look, look, the judgment has already been put upon this earth. The judgment has already been given to the evil one. Back before the beginning of time, that has already taken place. See, that, that's the negative for those who want to deny Jesus. But for the followers of Jesus, it is not so. That's the positive promise that I hope you have this morning as we finish up with these last few verses in verses 12 through 15. It's the positive promise. Starting in verse 12, I have many more things to tell you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. I have many more things. Well, you've only been gone on all night, Jesus. What else can you possibly have? Well, this is the part we must understand that what he still has to say is what is still to come. What's Jesus referring to here? He's referring to the rest of the New Testament, right? That's what he's referring to as the author wrote and authors were moved by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. These are the more things that he has to say. And he says this, he says, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose it to you. All truth. The Holy Spirit has no agenda. The Holy Spirit has no hobby horse, right? As far as when you're teaching doctrine or teaching things from the scriptures, The Holy Spirit does not speak on His own behalf. The Holy Spirit speaks as He hears, just as Jesus Himself does. Now, what am I saying here this morning? What I'm saying here is that we have nothing to say outside of Scripture. Right? It is Scripture alone as illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Those are the more things that Jesus has still to say. Listen, we have the 66 books of Bible. They're complete. There's no more. There's no less. And they are enough. They are sufficient 
to live a faithful life. They are sufficient to keep us from stumbling. And my friends, I want to tell you this morning that your view, that our view of Scripture, as your view of Scripture goes, so goes your faith. Watch it, mark it, chart it. You will see that happen. As you diminish your view of Scripture, and Scripture starts dropping, your opinion starts rising, you will see it happen every single time. We live in a time where the Word of God is being increasingly attacked, minimized, rebuked, mocked. Now is the time. We're told these things are going to happen just as the disciples of Jesus were warned by Jesus saying, I'm giving you this warning so you will not stumble. It is still applicable for us today. We have many people who would want to say, well, Paul's words, we can't consider them. We don't even like that guy. What a chauvinist guy that was, huh? What a misogynist. Hey, he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Well, let me tell you what Peter had to say about Paul. In the second chapter of Peter, third, the, the, uh, second Peter chapter 3, he had this to say, he says, therefore, beloved, again, talking about the new heaven and the new earth, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as ourselves, just as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some hard things to understand. Yeah, you think? Which the untaught, the unstable distort as they do the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. You therefore, Paul, Peter here is also a warning. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, you know this, be on your guard. Why? So that you are not carried away. It's not the same as stumble, but certainly has the same sense of meaning. You are not carried away by the air of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. Listen, these are the words of Jesus has left the night within moments, within hours. He will be tried. He will be falsely convicted and he will die upon that cross, but he will not stay there. What must have those disciples thought? What must have they gone through? How much of that messed with their head? Listen, we have the scriptures. That's all we need. <clears throat> we have the Holy Spirit to help illuminate the Scriptures for us. Listen, there's times we hear somebody say, well, the Holy Spirit told me. But if it doesn't align with Scripture, no, the Holy Spirit did not tell you that. Listen, we have Scriptures. Scripture is enough. Some want to disregard. Some are all of Scripture. How do you come to that determination? How do you come to that determination? It is in the Scriptures that we find the warnings and also the promises of Jesus. It is the Scriptures that keep you from stumbling. These are the words that Jesus is giving His disciples here this morning. And I think these are also words that are very applicable for us today. It is the Scriptures as illuminated and revealed by the Holy Spirit that will keep us, keep us from stumbling. Father, I... Ah, oh, Father, I've just, um, Father, there's so much that could be said, and I have so much, so much to say, but, but Lord, if it's just for me, it's pointless, it's worthless, it's babble, it's just a noisy gong. 
So, Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. And, Father, the things, Lord, that are indeed warnings and admonitions and encouragements that are right for faithful living, those things that are from you, Father, are those the things that we would hear this morning? And, Father, would we, um, Father, take heed of the warning you left your disciples? That all through your scriptures, time and time and time again, it did not go well from a worldly point of view for your followers. Why do we expect any less? But Lord, we do thank you. Father, I am reminded of the, the freedoms that we have in this country we call America. I thank you for it. I pray for our leaders as they discern and, and as um, attack wants to become upon our faith. Father, I pray that as you put people in power, Lord, you do it on purpose, for a purpose. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to evaluate all those things alongside Scripture, through Scripture and in Scripture, and that we would remain steadfast and that we ourselves would be kept from stumbling. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.